Well, let's continue to worship the Lord through the study of his word, church, and uh, ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to the, uh, the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 15. We will eventually get to this place, so... So just be patient because we're going to get there. Genesis chapter 15, first book in the Old Testament. If you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hand and we can uh, supply you with one. There's a note page as well in your bulletin. Grab that because I think that will be helpful to you along the way. One day in her kindergarten class, the teacher gave the children some free time to do an art project with paper and crayon. Everyone went busily to work, and as teachers are prone to do, she strolled around the room and watched as the kids were drawing. And she eventually came to this one little boy who was intently drawing away, and when she saw what was on his page, she paused and she says, David, what is that that you're drawing? And, and without a moment's hesitation, he said, I'm drawing a picture of God. Well, the teacher, um, caught off guard by all that, just gently corrected him saying a picture of God David Uh, no one really knows what God looks like and he replied confidently with that well they're gonna know after I'm done (laughs) Uh, from the mouth of babes yeah yeah you you know I remember this story it's it's an old story I, I remember it from years ago and I can easily imagine that it could happen and as I reflected on this story it occurred to me that In a sense, church family, uh, what little David was attempting to do is exactly what we are attempting to do as well, only in a a different way. He was trying with his fertile imagination to, to get a grasp on God and put him on paper for everybody to see. That was his that was his goal, his aim. We aren't doing that, but we are. By carefully studying the, the, some of the many names of God that he has already put down on paper on the pages of his word, we are trying by studying these names to, to gain a deeper, fuller, more accurate grasp and understanding of, of who God is. Trying, if you will, to, to construct a picture of him, an accurate picture of him through his names not only so that our praise and our adoration and our worship of God can, can be more sharply focused and joy-filled, but also so that as we ride this roller coaster of life with all of its ups and downs and its twists and turns, we can, we can as we know these names by virtue of studying them together, we, we, we will have what we need to meet those unexpected, those ups and downs, of this life that we live here in a fallen world, to draw from these names the the strength and the encouragement and the confidence of faith that we need for those tough times. God has already drawn, if you will, the picture of himself by his names on the pages of his word. And we, for our part, well, on these mornings together in this series, we are trying to extract from those names all the beauty and all the power and all the practical help that they can provide for us. Now, the very first name that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, because it is the very first name God gives us uh, of himself in the Bible, came out of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Do you remember what name that was? 
Yes, that was Elohim. What does that name mean? Well, it means my strong, powerful, infinitely more creator God. Elohim. For whom nothing is impossible. He can do it all. And so we call him this name uh, whenever in this life we encounter the impossible because he is the God of the impossible. He can do anything that he wants. My strong, powerful, infinitely more creator God, Elohim. I need Elohim. And then last time, what name did we take up? Remember last time? You whispered it. (laughs) Yahweh, right? Yahweh, yes. Now, this is the second name that, that God gives us in his word. It appears just as soon as we get out of Genesis 1 and we step into Genesis chapter 2. And this is a name that we read for the first time there, Yahweh, but we'll read it more than 6,500 more times throughout the Bible, nearly three times as many as any other name in Scripture. This is God's favorite name, if you will, because it is his personal name. The name he gives to us to convey that he is the God who, who longs for relationship with us. Yahweh, I am who I am. Self-existing, self-directing, eternal, unchanging, promise-keeping, but more than anything, personal and relational. Jesus, if you recall, actually takes this name uh, very boldly in John chapter 8 and says, Before Abraham was, I am. Yes. And this is the name that we call on when we need to be reminded that our God wants to be with us and us to be with him. I am with you all the way from here to eternity, says Yahweh. And so with this name, we know that we're not going to be doing this life alone through faith in Jesus. Our God is very relational, very personal. He is Yahweh. Well, that brings us then this morning to yet another of our God's amazing names, a name that fills in more of the picture of who he is and who he wants to be and your life and mine. It's the third most frequently appearing name in the scriptures for God after Yahweh and and Elohim. This name will appear more than 400 times on the pages of your Bible. What name are we taking up today? Adonai. The name Adonai. And if you have been a Christian for very long, you know this name. You've, you've read it. You have sung this name. Allow me to take just a few moments here at the front end to supply a little bit of background for us as it relates to this name, which I will then hope uh, helps us to better get our hearts and minds around the one who has taken this name to himself. Adonai is a, is a special form of a Hebrew word, Adon. And, and all of this is right there on your note page, by the way, just so you'll, you'll have it so you, you can come back and kind of pick this up if you need to. But that word Adon comes from a root Hebrew word that means to rule or to own. Adon was a title of dignity. It was a title of respect given to kings in the scriptures, sometimes to military commanders, prestigious family members. Sometimes the oldest brother uh, in a family would, would, would take this title, Adon, 
wives would oftentimes address their husbands in the Old Testament using this, this title, Adon. Sarah will do this with Abraham and call him Lord. Students and, uh, would, would call their teachers Adon. The, the apprentice would call his instructor Adon. And most often and most common was the use of Adon to uh, communicate the, the context in which the slave related to the master, and the master was Adon. So the first thought anyone had when they heard this title was, well, you're talking about somebody with authority, someone who has power. They are the Lord. They are the ruler. They are the owner. They are the master, Adon. Well, leave it to God to take this Hebrew title, Adon, and uh, rework it, literally, and make it his own unique name. He makes Adon both plural and possessive as he changes it a little bit so that if you and I read it on a page, uh, we would look at this new name that he's made called Adonai, and we would say, my masters, possessive plural, my masters. But we don't say that when we read this word because the Holy Spirit assigns personal pronouns to this particular name. So it's, it's a plural name with singular pronouns, and so we pr- pronounce it as a singular. We understand it as a singular um, name. And we're not surprised that God would do this because he did this with the name Elohim. Do you remember this? Two weeks ago, he took the name and he made it plural as well. He is one God, but he exists in three persons, doesn't he? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so Adonai, we would expect it, would be plural. And it is possessive in the Hebrew grammar, meaning God is my Lord. He is my master. He is my owner. A plural name, but spoken as if it were singular, my master. And then the way that you added intensity to a word in Old Testament Hebrew was to to make it plural. Uh, The Old Testament writers, they did not have bold type, and they didn't use underlining when they wanted to emphasize or or add strength to a word. So what would they do? They would make it plural. And so God uses this little nuance of Hebrew grammar to add to his name and our understanding of it. The name Adonai for understanding could very accurately be uh, translated, my great master, my great owner, the owner of my life. Personal, plural, Possessive, great. It would get a little bit tedious if every time we came on to this word in Scripture, we said, my great master, the owner of my life, which is what the name means, right? It would get a little bit tedious. So in English, what do we do with all of that? We scrunch it down into one little word. What's the word? The word is Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. But that... That word captures the meaning of God, you are my great master. You are the owner of my life. So whenever we see Adonai, we say, oh, that's who that is. But we we, we 
push all that down, we scrunch it all down into that little word, four letters, capital L-O-R-D. It's important that we note that this is how the word Adonai is written because if you were here with us last time when we were looking at the name Yahweh, how is that name represented in Scripture? Lord, but how is it printed out for us? Yes, you you got that from last time. Capital L-O-R-D, all caps. And that name is Yahweh. Adonai, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. To give you a first-hand feel for how this works in our Bibles, you'll see on your note page right there in the middle, uh, Deuteronomy 10.17. And it it reads like this. We'll, We'll put it up on the screen for you as well. For the Lord, what name is that? Yahweh, your God, what name? Elohim is God of gods and Lord Adonai, because it's lowercase there, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. So it's a great example of how our English Bibles help us to understand which names are being used when we're reading uh, through the scriptures. And brothers and sisters, I think you would find uh, in your own Bible reading, there would would be a kind of a new freshness, a, a kind of a new vitality that would come to you in your devotional times if as you're reading, you notice these names and you make these distinctions because you you know how they're written. You wouldn't want to do this all the time. It would get a little cumbersome. But just take this one verse, for example. If you were reading in Deuteronomy 10 and you came onto this verse, maybe you would do something like this. For Yahweh, my personal, relational, promise-keeper God, is Elohim, my strong, powerful, infinitely more creator God, and he is Adonai, my great master, the owner of my life God, the great, the mighty, the awesome Elohim. (laughs) Now again, you couldn't do that all the time. It would get a little bit tough, but how cool is that? Just from this one verse, these three names appear. It's kind of like, like a little red bull for the soul when you, when, you, when you do this. You know, you take these names and you work them like that. Kind of gets you fired up. This is our God. And this is how he's communicating so, to us. Well, that's a little bit of a, of a rabbit trail. So let's get back to the name, Adonai. So we know that this, this amazing name is, is plural. It is possessive. And it is intensive. And because we know the the cultural background of the word Adon, from which Adonai comes, we know that it contains within it the ideas of of dominion and lordship and mastery and ownership. But we also know that this name has very strong ties to the master-slave relationship. And so we're right when we look at this name to think God You are my great master, the owner of my life. You're Adonai. Just make this all kind of flowing for us. You getting this with me? Yeah? Well, all that brings us then to spend a few moments with two really important truths that kind of flow out of this name. If we really want to understand the name, there are, there are two truths that we want to take home. The first is, is kind of laid out for you there near the bottom on your little note page. And it is this truth. God in his role as our 
possessive, Adonai, my, my Adonai, your Adonai, fulfills most of the responsibilities of being our master and owner. Ah, good. You got it. Great. In, God, in his role as our Adonai, fulfills all the responsibilities of being our master and owner. Now, this is a very important truth. And it's important to stress this truth because when in Christian circles we think about God as the master and us as the servant, oftentimes, at least in teaching contexts such as this or in preaching moments, all of the emphasis seems to get directed on the responsibility of the servant to serve the master. That's where we camp out. You're the, you're the servant, you're the slave, God is the master, and we spend all the time talking about how we do that, how we, we serve and obey him. And, and, and there's a place for that. There's, a, there's an important time to focus on that. We will do that before we're done this morning. But it is just as important, in fact, maybe even more important, as God takes the name Adonai for himself, that you and I know in our heart of hearts that he takes responsibility for what he owns as the Lord and the master of all things, which means he takes responsibility for you. He takes responsibility for me. That's important for us to think about when we think of the name Adonai. That God owns it all is a truth that we camped on pretty hard uh, when we were sharing the name Elohim together, our creator God, two mornings ago. I mean, he made it all, so <laughs> he's, he's Lord of it all, right? It's all his. But just to affirm that truth again, here's what Psalm 97.5 tells us. You put it on the screen. The mountains melt like wax before the who? Before the Lord, but which one? Which name? Yahweh, right? All caps. Before the... Lord Adonai of all the earth. He is Lord of what? All the earth. Here the psalmist gives us two of God's names, his personal relational name and his name that conveys ownership and lordship. God owns it all, Adonai of all the earth. Uh, Psalm 50, verses 10, 11, and 12. Adonai says, Every animal of the forest is what? It is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. I love that, don't you? Hey, if I were hungry, I'm not going to come to you. I don't need to come to you. I'll get it myself because it's all mine. I own it all. Powerful verses about the ownership that God has of all things. In the New Testament, same truth, 1 Corinthians 10.26, the Apostle Paul using the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Adonai says, the earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. But again, brothers and sisters, with ownership, with lordship comes responsibility, especially on the part of the master toward his servants. We already know how closely the name Adonai is t- 
tied to the master-servant relationship. The slave owner was responsible for his slaves. A short list of some of the things that the, the master took care of in, a, in his servants' lives is printed there for you in the bottom of your page. It would be the responsibility of the master to provide for, to protect, to encourage, promote, guard, warn, sustain, supply, lead, care for, nurture, discipline, defend, teach, reward, and much, much more. And God, as, as he lives out this name, Adonai, fulfills all of these responsibilities as our master owner. That's good to know, isn't it? He does all of this and way, way more. In fact, King David affirms this so clearly in the verse near the top of your note page. It's Psalm 16, verse 2. How does it read? I said to the Lord, that's Yahweh, my personal relational promise-keeping God, I said to the Lord, you are my what? My master. The word is Lord. The word is Adonai. Every good thing I have in my life comes from where? From you. You are responsible as the owner to do these things. You bring the good into my life. David saw God, Adonai, as the one totally responsible to supply the good that came. And that is our master too. And if you've been a Christian for very long, uh, you know that in the New Testament, the Apostle, the Apostle Paul and, and, and all of them really called themselves bondservants or slaves of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. They used this language to let everybody know they were owned by Jesus. He was the master and the master is responsible. Paul affirms this when he says this in Philippians chapter 4. I rejoice in the, what's the next word? I rejoice in the Lord greatly. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul says, I rejoice and I relax in my Lord who is responsible to care for me and I know that he will not fail to be responsible. He will not fail to be faithful. And so, brothers and sisters, as we, we do this, this roller coaster life in a fallen world, it is imperative that we lean hard on God as our Adonai, our master and owner who is what? Responsible to care for us. And will do that. What we need, he will supply. It's wrapped up in his name. It's part of what he does. It's part of his character. Not only does that take the pressure off of us knowing this, but it honors Adonai greatly when we are exercising faith and trusting him for who he is. My great master, the owner of my life. Allow me to show you this truth from the very first place in our Bibles where the name Adonai actually shows up. First time. Your Bible is open to Genesis 15, right? I told you we would get there. Well, we're here. Um, Genesis 15, this is the first time that we're going to see this name in Scripture. And uh, let me just give you a little bit of background, the, the, the briefest amount of background. In chapter 12, God comes to Abram. 
who will become Abraham, and he comes to him as Yahweh, the Lord, capital O-R, capital L-O-R-D, the personal relationship desiring God. He makes a great promise to Abram in chapter 12, saying that he's going to make him into a great nation through a child which he will give to he and his wife, even though they are old. And then through this nation that will come, he will send the Messiah who will bring salvation to all who want that. Abram believed Yahweh for this fantastic promise. So what does Abram do? Well, between chapter 12 and chapter 15, he uproots his clan. He goes to the land that God is going to give where the great nation will grow. But years pass and there is no child. No son from Abram and Sarah. No heir. In fact, 10 years pass between chapter 12 and chapter 15, the giving of the promise and this moment that is before us. 10 years. And so Abram begins to struggle, and Yahweh knows this. Verse 1, chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Oh, what's the next word? Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. What name is that? Adonai. Very first time that we see this name is right here in this moment. Oh, Lord, oh, Adonai. God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. It's been 10 years. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Is Abram doubting a little bit here? He's doubting the promise? Doubting the promise maker? Yeah? He'd heard what Yahweh had said when he revealed himself and his plan 10 years earlier, but he has not yet seen the fulfillment of the promise. For the first time in Scripture, God is appealed to now by this new name, Adonai. Abram calls upon God as his master, as his owner, and he is relying on the truth that the owner is what? Responsible. Responsible to supply, responsible to care for what he owns, and especially when the owner has made a promise, responsible to fulfill the promise. Interesting. This is the new name in this moment. Verse 4. And behold, the word of Yahweh, the promise keeper, the Lord, came to him. This man shall not be your heir, for your, your very own son, who will come from your own body, in other words, shall be your heir. God repeats the promise. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then comes verse 6, and Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then what follows, we won't take all the time here to do this, but what follows in chapter 15 is a remarkable scene in which God makes an unbreakable covenant with Abram, binding himself to Abram, binding himself to the promise of an heir in a very powerful visual way. Essentially, the owner, Adonai, says, Abram, I've got this. 
I've got this. You can trust me. So as this new name of God is unveiled, we see Adonai being responsible to supply and care for what he owns. And because we have the rest of the story, we know that indeed Abram and Sarah will conceive a child in their own age, in their old age. He'll be 100 years old. Sarah will be 90, way beyond childbearing years for Sarah. Adonai, because he is the responsible master and owner that he is, does the impossible. He brings the air through this aged couple. And that is such a critical truth for us in our understanding of this name. Adonai, our God, is totally, totally committed to care for what he owns. And church family, because he owns you, because he owns me, he's totally committed to caring for us. Yes? Totally? Yes. It's part of his nature. It's part of his character as Adonai to do that. But it is also in this scene and with the unveiling of this name for the first time that the second important truth is also set out for us. If you flip your note page over, we had that first truth that our God is responsible. But there is a second truth that comes out of this passage as well. And we can express this truth like this. As his servants, we for our part are to humbly submit to him, trust and obey him. God in his role as Adonai does what? Calls... Calls all, okay, all, not most, but all the shots. And that's exactly what we see Abram embrace as well in Genesis 15. Once again, verse 6, God says to him, Look up, old man, into the night sky. Count the stars if you can. Your descendants will outnumber those stars. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is a an expression that sounds a little bit odd, but it simply means that Abram took Adonai at his word. He believed him. He, he trusted him. And this greatly pleased the Lord. The servant submitted to his master. The servant yielded to the owner and trusted him. And this opened the path then for a, a deeper relationship between Abram and God. You own me, Adonai. You own me. And that's in effect what what Abram is saying in verse 6. You own me. That means you call the shots, not me. You're the promise keeper. You're Adonai. You're the master. I'm just the servant. I choose to trust you, to believe you, to submit to you. As you may know, if you know the rest of the story, he did receive the promised son and heir in God's time, not his time. It would be several more years from chapter 15 before Isaac would come. But he receives a son, and he receives a new name. Remember what Abram's name is changed into? Abraham, the father of nations. Father of nations. If we long to see God unleash his power and his promises in and through us, then he must be our Adonai, not just in name, but in fact, 
right? That means you're my great master. You're the owner of my life. You call the shots. Abram in verse 6 affirms for us that submission and trust and obedience are absolutely essential in our relationship with, with our God if we really want to live in the center of his, of his blessing. Unfortunately, brothers and sisters, it seems that today many who profess faith in God are all for having Yahweh and his promises, but not so excited about having Adonai owning every part of their life. Many people want God to do for them what he says in his word, bless, provide, protect, watch over, care for, supply, reward, take me to heaven. Be the responsible Adonai, but they don't want to give him the right to own them, to be the master, to call all the shots. Is this a struggle for us? Yeah, it is. In fact, to say it another way, church family, it would at least be my observation that within the evangelical church in America today, there is a, there is a, uh, a real sickness that exists within the evangelical church for many. There are many who want God to get them to heaven, but they don't want God to own them on earth. They want Yahweh's promises, but they don't want Yahweh's ownership. Can you have it both ways? No. And, 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 when, and then when God doesn't come through for them and supply and bless and deliver and reward and do the, all the things that they think he should do in the time that they think he should do it, then they get all put out at God. Like he failed them, like... He doesn't love them anymore. He doesn't care about them. He's not being responsible. But the real issue is they're not getting it. He is Adonai, which means he is what? The great master, and he is the owner of my life. We are the servant, right? We're the bond slave. He calls the shots and we submit and we trust and we obey. What I just described, folks wanting Yahweh's promises but not Adonai's ownership is is hardly a new reality, right? Not something brand new in America (laughs) in this time. God as Adonai in the Old Testament experienced this disconnect regularly with the people of Israel. Check out the, the words from Isaiah 29:13. I think they're in your note page and they're also on the screen. The Lord, you see that? The Lord, Adonai, says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. And what's the last part of the phrase? But their hearts are far from me. Adonai says, there is a disconnect in Israel. The servants don't want to submit or to be led by the master. And the heartache that 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 brought in the Old Testament times and continues to bring to Israel today, I believe, is beyond calculating. Want Yahweh's promises. Don't want Adonai's ownership. In the New Testament, Jesus dealt with exactly the same thing. Let me show you this. Leave Genesis now. 
run way to the right in your Bible uh, till you get into the New Testament. Find the Gospel of Luke and chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. As you come to this place, uh, Jesus is talking to a huge crowd. And he asks him uh, a very revealing, very penetrating question, Luke 6.46. Here's what he asks. Why do you call me, what are the next two words? Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you. <laughs> the, the words Lord, Lord are the New Testament Greek equivalent of the Old Testament Hebrew Adonai. The, the, the New Testament Greek word is kure. Kure, kure. You, you, you call me kure. Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I tell you. Same exact idea. The owner, master, slave, servant, master relationship. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Let's keep going. Verse 47, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, listen, everybody. Life works. Your life will work great when you get this. God owns you. (laughs) You are his servant. Submit to him. He calls the shots. I am your Lord. I call the shots. Your life will work when you hear and obey me. But it demands that we give up ownership, right? Adonai only really works great if we give up ownership. We put on the servant's clothes, the servant mindset, the servant heart, and we listen and we obey Adonai. In fact, Jesus offers us a great perspective on precisely what that looks like if you will Run just a few more pages to the right in Luke. Get to chapter 17 and find verse 7. Luke 17, 7. Listen to what Jesus says. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink? Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? It's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? No, of course he wouldn't. That's what the servant's supposed to do. Verse 10. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do by whom? By Adonai, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. From all we see in the Old Testament and from what Jesus says in the New, unless a person, us, brothers and sisters, you and me, come to terms with the fact that we are servants and unworthy servants at that, not masters, but servants, slaves, 
not owners, and we confess God as Adonai and Jesus as Lord, unless that happens, our lives are never going to be what they could be. They're never going to be what they should be, what God would want them to be. There'll always be this struggle between who's going to call the shots in my life. If at every turn it seems like life just just dumps on you and, 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 and fights you and and deals out disappointment and pain, maybe you don't need to look any further than right here. Maybe you've been fighting Adonai's ownership of you. You're all for a God who will take you to heaven, but you really don't want a God who will own you on earth. Maybe that's the issue. He's more than ready right now to take full responsibility for your life for your present, and for your future, even your eternity. But, he says, there's no fudging on this. You must humbly submit to me. Trust me and obey. It's like that little children's song. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It all starts with Jesus, though, doesn't it? Confessing him as our Lord, our Lord, our Adonai. On your note page, Adonai and the great confession. Let's wrap it up with this thought. The word confess means to to openly or to publicly affirm and declare where you stand on an issue. Well, check this out. Romans 10, verses 9 to 13. You know these words if you've been in, in Jesus for very long. If you confess with your mouth, what is the next three words? Jesus is Lord. The Greek word for Adonai, the great master, the owner of my life. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. That means pronounced not guilty. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Jesus says what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on his name. Because he's responsible. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we say amen and amen. Who is Jesus to us today? Brothers and sisters, church family of Idlewild Bible, who is Jesus? He is Adonai, which means what? He's our great master. And and, and because it's possessive, he is my great master. And he what? He owns me. You know, in sports, there's a, there's a phrase that's it's, it's a, it's kind of a slam, but someone says, I own you, right? It's a negative. I own you. Man, I owned you on the basketball court. You were mine. It's a negative. But church family, that is the most beautiful, the most beautiful thing for us to be able to say. Adonai, you own me and you bought me with your blood. I'm your possession. 
today and forever and ever. Amen. You're my Adonai. Let's pray. Well, <laughs> oh man, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit, how we love being owned by you. It's pure grace. We are unworthy servants. And yet we would confess to you that we just struggle in our Christian life. We, we struggle to let you own us completely. We, we just do. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and paying for all of those, those moments when we try to be the master. We're so sorry, and it brings us so much grief. Help us. Help us. Oh, Adonai, our great master and owner of our life, we love you, but only because you loved us first and made that love real in Jesus. And together we all say, Amen and amen. Church family, let's stand together. We need to release a little bit of this in song. The songs we're about to sing have the word Lord in them numerous times. As you sing the songs, think, ah, that's Adonai. That's my great master. That's the one who owns me. Let's sing these together.